Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I went to visit a town called Euskirchen, which is about the size of Lancaster. And it's 20 miles or so southwest of Cologne. As catastrophic floods hit parts of Belgium, the Netherlands and Western Germany earlier this month, killing more than 200 people, the Times Berlin correspondent Oliver Moody went to report on the trail of destruction they'd left behind. And if you've seen the maps charting the intensity of the rainfall in the Rhineland, it's absolutely slap bang in the middle of the deluge. And the first thing that you see as you come into the town by road is just the heaps of rubbish everywhere that have been transported around by the swollen streams and rivers. It's almost as though there had been some colossal bacchanalian party and people had just lost all control and strewn everything all over the place. And as you come into the town centre, it's just an eerie quiet because the Electricity had been cut off. There's very little mobile phone signal. And as it later turned out, even the mains water had been contaminated with bacteria after presumably a pipe had broken open. And the town centre of Euskirchen is on a, a gentle hill leading down to the river Erft, a tributary of the Rhine that was one of the worst zones of flooding. And what had happened was that all of this rainfall had produced a torrent of mud that was about six feet deep. And as you walk down these streets, the signs of the devastation that had been left behind were so clear that you didn't even need to be told what had happened in order to reconstruct it in your head. This river of mud had come down through the town center and it had come with such force that it had picked up cars and deposited them at odd angles. It had even carried along a Ford Fiesta and just dumped it through the windscreen of another vehicle. It had smashed out the windows of shops. It had obliterated entire ground floors of buildings. And it had gouged the paving stones out of the street. It had uprooted several trees. And outside, almost every house in the center was a little stack of destroyed possessions things like printers and hi-fi systems and children's toys just caked in mud. The um, town's library had just been absolutely devastated. There was just this jumble of broken MDF counters and, and nothing else inside it. As the floodwaters subsided, revealing the alarming extent of the damage, 
they also revealed systemic failures, warnings that were ignored, and institutions silted up by bureaucracy. As the cleanup operation is underway, so too is Germany's political reckoning. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the aftermath of the floods in Germany. We start off with some breaking news. Severe storms across Germany have unleashed some of the worst floodings in decades. The inconceivable has happened. Floods have inundated the Eiffel region. Help! We're drowning here. Can anyone hear us? We need help. We need heavy equipment. Heavy flooding has turned streets into raging torrents, and many rivers have burst their banks, sweeping away cars, sometimes buildings, and much else besides. The R has swept away anything that stood in its path. The river, which is normally less than a metre deep here, swelled to a monstrous depth of almost eight metres. There's so many people dead. You don't expect people to die in a flood in Germany, but it was all too fast, too quick. A state of emergency has been declared, and as you'd imagine, rescue efforts are ongoing. Not everyone is being allowed back into their houses. Those who are often find themselves in shock. Now they must start to deal with the aftermath of the flooding. As the worst of the floods abated, Oliver Moody was surveying the scene. By that point, the waters had subsided and about 100 people in the town had been made homeless and been given shelter in the sports hall of the local comprehensive. In the streets, there were just these sort of chain gangs of neighbours going into the shops and just recovering whatever they could, taking their livelihoods out by the armful and and either dumping them in piles of rubbish or or stacking them into their cars. And I met one guy who ran an antique shop that had just been completely reduced to matchsticks. He said he'd lost €100,000 worth of stock and he he just couldn't take it anymore. He said, I'm I'm closing, that's it. I, I just don't want to do this again. It's almost too soon to ask, but is there a sense of how long people are likely to be without their homes. That's going to vary enormously from one part of the flood zone to the next. In Erftstadt, which is about 10 miles north of where I was in Euskirchen, a lot of the houses have been flattened entirely and people have only just been allowed back into the homes that are still standing to try and recover their possessions and assess the scale of the damage. The reconstruction effort, particularly with the infrastructure, is going to take years. I mean, even in rhineland Palatinate, at the next state along to the south, they're talking about 80 train stations and 600 miles or so of track having been destroyed. That's not the sort of thing that you can replace overnight. I mean, that is an epic scale of destruction. Did you talk to people there? How were they responding? I was really struck by just how philosophical and resilient everyone I spoke to about it had been. One person even quoted Angela Merkel and her famous line during the 2015 migration crisis when she said, We've done a we'll cope. And it's almost become a sort of um, semi-ironic national motto. And another guy said it was just the Rhineland mentality that 
however bad things have got, there's no way except forward and you just have to pick yourself up and try and rebuild your life. That is amazing. I mean, it can't be easy. As you stood there surveying this, this scene of destruction, take me back to 48 hours before. Take me back to how it all started. What had happened was that it had been a very wet June already across a lot of Germany and the ground around the rivers feeding into the Rhine in Western Germany was already pretty saturated. And then there was this area of low pressure that the German meteorologists had nicknamed burnt that had just been stuck there for days and days, trapped over the entire region, sucking in warm and humid air from its surroundings. And then two days before the floods, it just dumped it in one massive continual deluge. So some areas got two months worth of rain in the space of 48 hours. And the result of that was that in the middle of the night on the Wednesday of the flooding, July the 14th, the waters just started to rise and rise really sharply. One German scientist said that some of the floods were moving so quickly that even the 100 meter swimming world record holder couldn't have outstripped it. It was Germany that took the heaviest toll. The flash floods sweeping in at alarming speed. The result, the rains turning roads into debris-filled rivers, sweeping away cars, trapping people in their homes. While this was happening, was there a sense for people on the ground that this could be serious? I spoke to one shop owner in Euskirchen who lived in a first-floor flat just across the road from his street, and he said he'd just heard this roar from the street and he'd opened his window and looked out and just seen this torrent descending through the town centre, through his shop. And a lot of people were caught almost entirely unawares. They'd been told there was going to be heavy rainfall, that the weather was going to be really bad, but they just seemed to have no idea that they were going to be in for such a catastrophic scale of flooding. The German government has pledged 200 million euros to help those affected by the flooding, but the cost of the recovery is likely to be many times higher. People were caught by surprise. It was the small hours of the morning in Euskirchen. It was about 2am when the flooding really got going. And the main response was just to try and get to safety, to try and get out of the path of the flood water. In the surrounding district, there were at least 25 people who didn't make it. They were just caught and died. And we still don't actually know how many more people might have died, partly because the mobile phone network was down until the following evening. And so lots of people couldn't get hold of their family members or their friends to find out if they were still alive. Was there a sense for the people caught up in this? Have they had serious floods before? Was there any sense of knowing what to do when something like this happens? Flooding is not uncommon in the Rhineland. There have been pretty bad floods, particularly in the 1990s before, but absolutely nothing on this scale. And the state had actually invested a lot of money in flood defences, but the natural disaster was just so strong and so sudden that it ended up overwhelming quite a lot of those defences, even though in that sense the area was pretty well prepared. Oliver, as you visited some of the places in that were so severely damaged, you were surrounded by so much destruction and mud and chaos and people experiencing 
the most horrendous things in their homes upside down. What did you make of the experience? I grew up in the Severn Valley, very near the Welsh border, which is pretty well known for flooding. And almost every year there is a photograph in the British newspapers of a place called Tewkesbury, which just has a real predisposition to get flooded. So I'm pretty used to seeing what can happen when you get very heavy rainfall in a river valley. But you can be academically aware of the potential for destruction from natural disasters. And yet when you see it for the first time on this kind of level in person, it really does take your breath away. Could that breathtaking destruction have been avoided? Could lives have been saved? Why weren't residents warned that devastating floods were heading their way? We'll have more in just a moment. But first... Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something-year-old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With more than a hundred dead and whole towns destroyed by devastating floods, in Germany, questions were soon being asked. Why weren't people warned? How much did the authorities know? The answers lay with a professor of hydrology at the University of Reading. Professor Hannah Cloak was one of the designers of EFAS, Europe's flood warning system. Alarmingly, she revealed how scientists had seen the floods coming and had sent warnings to the German authorities. I looked into this for the Sunday Times and was able to draw up a reasonably detailed 
timeline of these warnings and what had happened. And the first warnings were compiled on July the 9th, five days before the flooding by EFAS. And they were communicated to the German authorities the next day that there was a very high risk of flooding in the Rhineland. And you could say, okay, well, that doesn't help you very much. But by the Monday, two days before the floods, they had really, really detailed maps showing the level of rainfall and even probability of flooding for specific rivers. In fact, almost precisely the list of rivers that got worst affected. It's very clear that they knew what was coming. There's a caveat to that, though, which is that flash flooding, where it's very sudden, is quite difficult to predict. But in the towns and cities where the water tends to rise fairly consistently and relatively gradually, that's absolutely predictable. And when I interviewed Professor Cloak, she said it was just unbelievable that you had had people getting swept away in large towns and cities where this was entirely foreseeable. And tell me about those warnings. I mean, who were they sent to and who would have known even two days before the floods hit that they could lead to people losing their lives? Well, the important thing here is that the German system is incredibly complicated. And even now, it's not entirely clear who those warnings were communicated to. So we know that they were sent to the National Disaster Agency, which is called the BBK. We know that they were sent to the state government of Rhineland Palatinate, and we believe they were also sent to the neighbouring state of North Rhine-Westphalia. And also the German Weather Service, the sort of German version of the Met Office, had drawn up its own forecasts and its own warnings that flooding was quite likely. Did they think it would be as severe as, as Professor Cloak? It's hard to tell. They had been warning primarily in terms of really heavy rainfall, at least in the public warnings. Mm. So there's a sense that it wasn't necessarily clear whether they were warning about the probability of heavy flooding as well. And these warnings, they were, in a sense, communicated to the public. So the disaster agency sent out 150 alerts through its apps, which had been downloaded by about 10% of the German population. They don't work very well. When the apps get updated, they often just stop functioning. And clearly, they don't reach a large proportion of the population. I'm only aware of one town in the whole region, Wuppertal, where the alert sirens were sent off. When the weather warnings were sent out, and they were broadcast by the radio and television stations, it was in terms of heavy rainfall. And some of the people I've spoken to said, you know, we get warnings about weather like that, Quite often, what are we supposed to do with that? You can't really convey the sense of urgency that is really proper when you're about to be confronted with that kind of flooding. I mean, all of this seems so surprising because it's a terrible cliche, but we have such an image of German efficiency and systems that work that the idea is something as serious as this could have somehow slipped through the cracks and, and so many people were left to struggle on their own just seems unimaginable. There's a, a very serious process of soul-searching going on in Germany at the moment about what went wrong. And it's been pretty unproductive so far, in my view. I don't know if you've seen the Kirk Douglas film Spartacus, and the, yes. the famous scene where the Romans come looking for Spartacus and all of the slaves stand up and say, I am Spartacus. 
This is the opposite of that. No one is Spartacus. There's at least six different levels of command that had a role to play, and they're all blaming each other. The media, the National Disaster Agency, the local authorities, the state governments, and even the public have been blamed for not taking the warnings seriously. Among the many questions these floods have left in their wake is one about the warnings. Did people understand that lives were in danger from heavy rainfall? Those who were there say information was chaotic. I don't think Germans have really believed in German efficiency in the same way that Britons have, but there has certainly been an idea that Germany is a competently governed mm. country that has taken quite a heavy knock already with some of the way in which the pandemic restrictions have been managed. And in particular, this idea that you have a very complicated system with lots of moving parts and where everyone could say, well, you know, I did my job, I did my role, and yet still the outcome has been dreadful and resulted in more lives lost than would necessarily have been. And I think there needs to be a process by which somebody centrally takes responsibility and says, okay, people might have been doing their jobs and fulfilling the roles that were prescribed to them, but this still went very badly wrong. And so how do we take this system and not just follow the rules, but redesign it in such a way that it actually gets these warnings through effectively? I mean, tell me about that, about the system of getting warnings through, because, you know, in other countries where floods, I suppose, are a bit more common, you know, you do get these alert texts that there could be a, a terrible weather event happening gives people a bit of a heads up, a warning to, to do something about it. Is there a system like that in Germany? There isn't. And that's pretty remarkable. It's called cell broadcasting. And it's a very straightforward technology. What you do is from a mobile network transmitter, you just send out a push alert to every phone within its reach and you can send a message of about 1,400 characters or so. And it exists in the US. It's very frequently used for hurricane warnings. Britain's developing one. The Netherlands has got one. France has got one. They were very useful in some of the other European countries that got hit by the flooding last week and, and didn't have anything like the same death toll that Germany did. Germany's actually theoretically supposed to bring one in by next year under European Union rules, but it got an opt-out for itself. So the technology was too expensive and that it would violate people's data protection rights to send the messages without their consent. That's now been revised and there's conversation going on among the authorities about trying to acquire this system, which is really not very expensive. I mean, it costs something like 40 million euros for the entire country. I was going to say, if, if the rest of Europe can afford it, then Germany, it seems unlikely that it would be outpriced. Is this about a specifically German sense of the need for privacy? I think that Germany does have a very protective attitude towards individual privacy, which in a lot of ways is very healthy, but in other ways often provides the authorities with a oven-ready excuse for not doing things or for when things go wrong. And the rules, even according to the data protection commissioners in Germany, have a lot more leeway in them than the authorities often allow. And so things like cell broadcast would actually definitely be within the realms of legal possibility. It's just that they haven't been tried yet and data protection has been one of the pretexts for not trying them. One of the other interesting 
sort of fallouts from all of this has been that the national and international conversation has immediately gone to climate change, which you know feels new. It feels like we haven't always done that before with with catastrophic weather events. Tell me about that. What, what are people saying out there? The day after the floods, the German Environment Minister Svenja Schulze tweeted, climate change has arrived in Germany. And there is very widespread consensus in the German establishment that climate change not only made this flooding much more likely, but that it's going to make worse flooding more likely in the future. And we're going to have to get used to it and try and mitigate and prepare for it now. On a visit to some of the flooded towns, the Chancellor, Angela Merkel, added her voice to the clamour. The German government weren't going to shy away from acknowledging the role of climate change in the devastation. It's terrifying. I would say there are no words in the German language to describe this devastation. The lessons are what we know already. We have to hurry. We have to get faster in our fight against climate change. It's very difficult to link any single extreme weather event or natural disaster to climate change. You can use modelling to work out how common events like this have been in the past and then to model how much more common they get as the global temperatures rise. And you can use that to assign a certain level of increased probability to these events through climate change. But you can never specifically say this was a consequence of climate change. It's always a lot more complicated than that. And what's the fallout of all of that been? I mean, we saw Angela Merkel rushing back from a trip to America. There was a national emergency. What's the political fallout been? Well, Angela Merkel is pretty well insulated from the fallout, partly because her visit to America had a very high level of diplomatic importance. She was the first European leader to go and see Joe Biden in the White House. And I don't think anyone is criticising Angela Merkel for not sort of standing up Joe Biden and immediately hopping on a plane back to Germany. Generally, German public culture is pretty sensible about things like that. However, there are a couple of ways in which the political fallout from these floods could play out. And one is the guy who is the strongest candidate in the running to become Angela Merkel's successor. His name is Armin Laschet. He's the leader of Angela Merkel's Christian Democratic Union Party. They're very far ahead in the polls before the election on September the 26th. And Laschet has up to now looked very much like Germany's next leader in waiting without having really done very much. And these floods hit his home state very hard, the state he's governed for the past four years. And now he's facing all sorts of questions about his record on environmental protection, but also on his response to the floods. So first of all, there was a pretty clumsy media interview where he was regarded as having patronized his young female interviewer. When he said, excuse me, young lady, but more notably, he went to visit Erftstadt, one of the worst hit towns in his state, with uh, President Steinmeier. And as President Steinmeier was giving a very moving and well-crafted speech. Zeit der Not. Und in der Not steht unser Land zusammen. Ich bin sehr froh darüber, 
to the television cameras about how this tragedy was tearing all of our hearts apart, in his words. Anteilnahme des Mitgefühls, der Solidarität signalisiert werden. Und ich finde es sehr gut. Laschet was caught on camera in the background, sort of chortling away and trading jokes with his entourage. He's apologized for that. I mean, that was quite a shocking clip. It did the rounds. You know, people were talking about it here. What did he say in his apology? I called it an apology. It would be more accurate to call it a quasi-apology because he said mm. that he regretted the impression that had arisen from his situation of conversation, which sounds to me like he's saying, well, if you thought that I was laughing, I'm very sorry about that. And people talk about the potential for political incidents to cut through. How much is the ordinary voter going to notice this and how much is it going to affect who they vote for on election day? And I think this is cut through. I think in the past, Laschet has been a sort of quite Teflon figure that scandals haven't really stuck to. But this one, I think, is likely to hurt him. And there's already signs in the polls that his personal approval rating when you ask Germans who you would like to see as your next chancellor has fallen by 10 points since then. Could this have the potential to change the succession? We'll have to wait and see. The strongest rival to the CDU is the Green Party, which has been very much off the boil recently. But there are two reasons why the flooding could play into their hands. The first is climate change, which has always been a very high priority among German voters but has slightly gone onto the back burner as the vaccination campaign has picked up and everybody's been worrying about the Delta variant and mm. the next wave of the pandemic. The surveys suggest that the party that is best trusted by the electorate to sort out climate change and to be credible in its policies is the Green Party. So that could help them. The other way that it possibly helps them is that their candidate for the chancellorship, who's a relatively untested 40-year-old politician called Annalena Baerbock, has been subjected to pretty heavy ad hominem personal attacks in the media and by her opponents. And there have been all these questions about her character and her suitability for the position and her experience. And the fact that the spotlight is now on the character of Laschet, her great rival, mm. might help to put those questions into perspective and help her to look more statesperson-like. With a political fallout still unfolding, questions are also being asked about the systems in place to protect citizens. What had happened to Germany's national emergency warning system? A nationwide test of the system in 2020 showed that does not always work. Some warnings came through half an hour late. Germany also has a more old-fashioned network of sirens from Cold War days. Many of these have been dismantled in recent years, but around 15,000 are still in operation. Yet even such a simple technology is not foolproof. Whether the actual chain of command, this very elaborate system with all its moving parts, will be reformed, and whether the owners will be taken off these poor local authorities at the bottom of the food chain who are expected to tell the people to evacuate and get together all the sandbags and coordinate the disaster response. I don't know. There doesn't seem to be yet that much recognition that this could be a more central and high-level problem than people have acknowledged up to now. And Oliver, what about for the people who were caught up in all of this, the people on the ground? Is there any sense when their lives might return to something like normal? That will vary a lot from one flood zone to the next. 
when I was in Oyskirche and people were already starting to try and rebuild, they were putting up chipboard in their broken shop windows, they were cleaning out the damage, they were salvaging what they could. And I think places like that will bounce back pretty quickly. The government has made um, so far 400 million euros of emergency aid available. The tax authorities are saying, you know, we'll be forgiving if you can't find your documents or pay your taxes on time. But there's been about 5 billion euros worth of physical damage. And that's not going to be repaired overnight. It's not going to be repaired in months even. Some of it's going to take years. And when you think if there are 20,000 homes that are still without electricity, it's going to be an absolutely Herculean task trying to restore that. In the short term, there's still tens of thousands of people who can't even go back to their homes because they've either been destroyed or ruined or the area around them is too dangerous. So the recovery in some places, I think, is going to be very quick. In others, it could take a very long time. According to the latest figures, 180 people are known to have died in Germany, with a further 150 still missing. 37 people are known to have died in Belgium. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Berlin correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times, Oliver Moody. You can read more of Oliver's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Gareth Isles. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, but you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.